Internets. Welcome to another episode of Step Off Radio, the official podcast of Step Off Magazine. I'm your host, Rob Camacho, and thank you again for tuning in to another fabulous episode. We got a wonderful show lined up for you guys. We've had lots of people join us on Step Off Radio over the years. We've had musical artists, we've had visual artists, we've had organizers, we've had politicians, but up to this point, though, It's been brought to my attention that we have yet to feature a spoken word poet on the show. Well, today with this episode, that changes. Today on the show, we have the one and only Matt Cedillo, one of the best political poets in the country right now. Just an incredible poet and an incredible human being overall. He's led a very fascinating life. Um, He's currently the literary director of the DA Center for the Arts and author of his own book, uh, Mowing Leaves of Grass, which is currently being taught at California State University at Northridge and Monterey, as well as uh, Mission College as well. Today on the show, we were able to have Matt come on and talk about his life growing up in El Sereno, California, his perspective of writing from the vantage point of a second-generation Chicano born in an era of diminishing opportunities and this crumbling economy and infrastructure that we face in this country, and how his writing and his poetry has this fearless way of challenging and confronting um, not just the politics of our country, but the history as well, and how his poetry is a reflection of both of those realities. We also have uh, Matt come on the show to talk a little bit about um, his writing process, um, how he goes about selecting topics, doing research, as well as his thoughts on contemporary politics and the overall general sentiment that is going on right now in a post-Trump era in this country. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I am proud to present to you our interview with the one and only Matt Cedillo. All right, internets, we have a wonderful guest on our latest episode of Step Off Radio today. Today we have None other than Matt Cedillo. He is a Chicano poet. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you for coming on. Oh, man, Robert. I really appreciate you having me. Of course, man. You know, so for our listeners that may not be familiar with you and your work, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you? Where are you from? And what is it that you do? So for those unfamiliar, um, man, how old am I? Jesus. Uh, I am actually 39, uh, and I'm approaching uh, approaching the end of my 30s. So it's really, it's, this is a rough uh <laughs> time for me, but I'm, I'm also I'm a poet. I've been, um, you know, producing. I've been writing poetry, and uh, you know, I also write articles and other things. But mostly, I'm known as a poet. 
and uh, I've been uh, I've just been at this for, for the last uh, little over a decade, and uh, it's it's taken me some places. I've been actually had the good opportunity to go to, uh, to Cambridge, speak at Cambridge, speak in Havana, uh, Cuba at the Casa de las Americas, uh, spoken in uh, Spain, Canada. So you know, those like four different countries now, about 100 campuses across the uh, United States of America. So um, it's been going pretty good. It's been going pretty good. Um, next book has more news grass, so I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But I'm already in, I'm already in pitch mode. Well, you know, ask your local retailer. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, man. So you know, so let's start at the beginning, man. You know, tell us a little bit about your early years. Um, you know, tell us about your upbringing. You were born in El Sereno, California, in 1981. Um, you know, tell us about your influences growing up, man. Were you raised in an artistic household? You know, like were your parents supportive of this aspiration to become a writer and a poet? Yeah, yeah. So I, was, I grew up in uh, I grew up in El Salvador, but I also grew up in England. So my parents had joint custody. So it was too, it's kind of a tale of two really different, uh, two really different. Um, I mean, the, the neighborhoods were similar, but the, but two very different you know households. And uh, my father. Uh, was very strict, very, very much kind of a, not as inclined towards like the way I was, which was very artistic, very kind of like daydreaming, kind of like looking at the world. Because um, he had a really, really strong work ethic. He was always trying to instill in me a really strong work ethic and, and to, to be kind of like, you know, this world's a scary place, you gotta be even tougher kind of thing. Um, my mom on the other side, she, she really uh, encouraged, uh, not so much that I should be an artist, but, but very much like kind of the artistic tendencies, very kind of just like daydreaming, kind of like looking at the world and asking a lot of questions. I think that was really what got my father's nerves, how many questions I would ask. So I would ask, well, why do you this way? And why do you that way? And why do you that way? And I would just do it, you know? <laughs> whereas whereas my, my, my mom was much more supportive of that type of thing. My mom used to take me to, to, to theater in the park, and I remember uh, when I was really young, she took me to go see Hamlet, and uh, I think it was in a, it was like some theater in the park somewhere, I guess somewhere on the west side. And I came back and we're playing, I'm playing with my toys, and, um, and, and then I go and play with something else, and she's like, you know, before you start playing with those toys, you have to go on the way. And I looked at her and I said, mother, speak to me no more, quoting the play, right? So I could say that at like three or four years old, I was quoting Shakespeare. But yeah, so that was kind of um, the early kind of upbringing. But it's, it's really interesting dynamic because the way my mom raised me versus the way my dad raised me, it really kind of like combined that, that person. Right? So I'm, I'm really kind of an odd person. I'm very, I'm sensitive enough to the world around me to pick up little things here and there. You know, like I'm alert enough, I'm aware enough to pick up things here and there in order to produce art, right? In order to be like, okay, that's that's worth remembering. Describe that part, that's worth remembering, that's worth remembering. And I can compose this into something dynamic that will be considered a poem, this will be dynamic, into something that will be considered a story, it's dynamic, into something I can use. Um, and I can sift through the world in that way and find information I can use and, and put into an art piece. And so that requires a little sensitivity, but I'm also tough enough that I can stand rejection, I can stand failure, and I can fail again and again and again and keep coming back. And so I think I get one attribute from my mom, that's what she encouraged me, and I get the other from my father, um, from the, the thing that he you know, really kind of instilled in me to be, to be tough, to be strong, to, and, to, and to fight for things, and to, and to really, you know, and if someone tries to take something from you, uh, to fight back, you know, and so that's the way I've been, and that's really kind of a hybrid of the two, so it's really... I'm really my parents' child in that way. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, you know, like this dichotomy of kind of like these different upbringings between your parents, you know, it 
I believe, you know, it's created like a, a very, it's given you a very unique perspective on the world and, you know, kind of the like elaborate on that, you know, how has that dichotomy between your two parents, you know, molded and shaped your outlook of your perspective of the world? Well, my perspective on the world, you know, um, this is kind of more like a perspective how I should be, you know, but my perspective on the world really comes from like political study and like, you know, looking at the world and trying to figure out like, you know, and reading things and, and, and actually like, it's not just all experiential, it's like, it's, 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 it's based on reading things and reading history and, and trying to, you know, read political theory and try to figure out like, um, why things are the way they are and, you know, and the, the possibility of change and how we should fight back and what are the best, you know, ways to fight back. So. A lot of that comes from like what say. It's not just like I was born, experienced this, and then I sat down and wrote. It's really based on a lot of a lot of research and a lot of study to actually shift the way I think. Um, but the way I am, yeah, it's just really based on based on uh, based on those two two individuals and the different things they encouraged in me. Um, and, you know, and many other people have influenced me along the way too. But if I would say the, the two principal people, surprise, surprise, my parents. But yeah, I don't know. It, it really combines with somebody that that you know I, I'm. They work hard, and, uh, and I'm really, you know, and I'm just say my mom doesn't work hard, but like that, that really like work ethic that borders on like not healthy, that like write eight hours you know, straight, like that that whole like you know, leave me alone, you know, like I'm doing this, just that very like going into the cave uh, thing I get from my dad. I mean, my, I, I would see him work like three, four hour, three, three, four jobs, and see him come home and just sleep an entire weekend because he was working like. 12 to 13, 14 hours a day, um, wow. and, uh, you know, doing different things. So, like, you know, that that was that idea of fun, that, that idea that, like, you, know, you do this and, you know, and it will be demanding. And the reason why you are going to be successful and other people are going to fail is because you did this. And that the kind of, like, sealer focus, you know, definitely from my father. But, you know, but I'm not really like him because, you know, there's a lot of other things that, 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 that are just totally different. And, um, and, you know, and the general kind of curiosity about, like, why do things work the way they do and how do things work the way they do and what's the quick, you know, what's, what's like, you know, you know, why do people do that? And, yeah, I'd probably tell up so. Absolutely, man. You talked a little bit earlier about, like, your mom taking you, to, you know, to see, like, Shakespeare, like, in the park and stuff like that. Was there, like, an aha moment that, like, ultimately made you want to start pursuing, like, writing and poetry? Like, was there, like... A moment where like wow like this is what I want to do this is what I was made to do pretty much yeah, yeah. she also like would take me to the uh, the Alhambra library um, and, and we would uh, and we would rent this little movie I liked it was called uh, The Magic Flute and it turned out to be just, uh, directed by Burton mm-hmm. and so I was like five six years old when that happened so at five I was also a Burton fan so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah no as far as that goes like I wanted to be a writer but when I was a kid I actually didn't want to be a writer I wanted to be uh, a politician. I wanted to be the president, and um, that was like my big goal because I knew that when I was an adult, I was going to have to get a job. Best job was the president because he was in charge, right? So that's what I, the job I wanted. You know? And then I think when I was about seven or eight, my father told me I couldn't be president because we're Mexican. And that's just not going to happen, right? And uh, and that was pretty brutal. And um, you know, later on, he took me to like D.C. and I got to you know talk to like some politician there, and it, it was you know he, he had an idea that I could be a congressman or something like that. So he wanted put that idea in my head right so like so that was kind of you know it was a painful conversation about this and it was it was odd and then but it was but it was kind of heartbreaking and so then later on my my um i decided that i wanted to be an artist so i'm like that was probably around 10 and around little or maybe 13 or so i started writing this novel and uh and I had this whole idea for this novel i worked on it throughout most of my teenage years and i had like 100 pages 
new gun. So, you know, it, it wasn't like some just a dream. It was something I was actually working on. And, uh, but it was mostly dialogue. So it was, it was, it was dialogue with some other stuff there. But, but, but it was 100 pages and, and it was, uh, it was pretty good. It was a good idea. And, but then, like, you know, I started working. You know, the idea kind of faded. And, you know, the winds and tides of the economy, things got really hard for me. And, uh, and life was really hard. I found myself, like, couch surfing with my car. You know, I was out in Texas at that time. And then I was like, like okay, well, I'm going to read this book. I'm going to read a book about political economy, figure out why, why is that? All my life has been told this morning, and here I am in this terrible position. And so I started just, like, obsessively reading. And then I became this idea that, okay, well, I'm going to put away my dreams of being a bourgeois artist. Never again am I going to, like, do those things. I'm going to be very, very serious. I'm a political organizer. People are going to take me very, very seriously. And I'm going to go back there. I'm going to march into the lows. I'm going to organize the workers. Right? And then <laughs> I'm going to get a the time. So I'm going to go to a break room work, organize workers. But I remember hearing somewhere on the radio or, like, or, you know, on these tapes or, or reading somewhere or something or some word, old organizer. Somebody told me, you know, you know, this is like, like MySpace days. Like, you know, I knew someone met in MySpace. Somebody does. And they told me that in order to organize workers, first you have to gain their respect. You know, and you gain their respect by showing you are a hard worker. You are a diligent worker. And I don't know where this advice came from. It was like the 1930s, the 1910s. And I don't, I doubt it was true then either. But, you know, I was like, okay, so that's old-time advice. I need to work harder than everybody. Then I'll earn their respect as a fellow worker, and then they will follow me, right? Only then can I show them. So then I saw, so I'm out there. I'm busting my back. I'm working harder than everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, putting my body through excruciating pain to get like, twice as much done half the time. And, and everyone hates me. Everyone just hates me because, like, you know, it's, it's making the managers demand more of everyone. Right, because mm-hmm. like, look at him, he's doing this, blah, 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 you should work hard too. And, and so everyone hates me, so that <laughs> didn't work. And I, and, 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 and so then, yeah, I came back to California, um, you know, got back on my feet, and, uh, and, and I, you know, I had a friend, and he uh, was in Theodore Maryland, he was a piece poet, and he, uh, he took me to go see uh, a Mike at Dim Lights. We went, to, we went to a media rally first, and he took me to see a Mike at Dim Lights, uh, a poetry venue. Remembering best kept, and uh, I saw a poet on stage who's now actually a poet right in Pomona, California, two to one. And he was doing poetry, and he was he was showing all this kind of like he, he was doing this political poem, and he would introduce this idea, he would build it up, and blah blah, blah and he'd come back and come back to this concept. And I knew exactly how to do exactly what he was doing. I knew exactly how to do that. And the same way that when you get on the radio, when you know exactly how to like imitate a voice, you haven't done it yet, but you know you can do it. Mm-hmm. I knew exactly how to do what he was doing. I knew, I knew exactly what he was doing and how to do it. And so then I was like, oh, man, I'm going to come back here, and I'm going to do this. And, you know, like, I'm going to be a very, very serious poet, and they're not going to like me, but they're going to respect me. You know, same exact attitude to most break room. But it turned out good. It turned out good and really, in many ways, changed my life. Because before that, you know, I was, you know, I was working retail since age, like, 17 to about almost 30. And so I was able to quit uh, my job when I was about 29, 28, I think, 28, 29, um, at, low, uh, at, uh, at that part was but, like, I've been bouncing around doing all these retail jobs in management um, for, you know, my adult life at that point in time, you know, and so I, um, I hated it. I hated it so bad, and, um, and if not for doing poetry and art, I would probably be, like, a district manager or, like, a, a general manager, maybe a district, I don't know, a big virus or one of these places. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, commit suicide within the next, like, four or five years. So, I mean, that's probably, that's probably the story of my life. Cause, no, because I got, like, really wild about, like, you know, like, my mortality. I'd be like, I'm going to die 
and it's gonna my tombstone's gonna be here with a wise man in folded shirts, you know, and uh, and, and that was like everything. You know, that's not to, that's not just anybody who was retail. I mean, like, it's just like that's how I felt. Uh, I felt that in you know, my first job, I think it was like Disneyland. I felt that too. I was like, here lies a man who made announcements off the train. You know, like that was like, that was, like I, I don't know why when I'm working, I get this like this severe case of mortality. I mean, now that like, I have my own boss and I, I create my own schedule and I book cars so that I never get that mentality of, like I'm gonna die and I didn't book enough cars. No, I'm just like, but like, when someone's telling me what to do, I get very like. Oh my god, I'm gonna die and I'll listen to this ass. You know, yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's like my, my mentality. So, yeah, anyways, that's how I knew I, I could do it. When I, the aha moment was when I was at the open mic and I saw someone do it and I knew exactly how they did it, what they did, and, and I knew I could do it too. Absolutely. Yeah, man, as uh, I feel you on the retail part as someone that worked retail for many years, it's a very grading and low reward <laughs> position oftentimes. You said you're working for people that um, don't respect your work or time, and and you're yeah. you're replaceable too. Right, right, right. And the, the worst part of it is I was middle manager, right? So I'm like this manager of all these places, or the teacher, or the this or the that. Some tiny little position authority that comes with like five dollars more an hour, right? I go in and I'm saying, and I and I'm not only like getting yelled at. I'm doing yelling, right? So I can't go home and just like, you know, you know, drink the drink of the righteous and be like, oh, I can't believe this. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know. I am also guilty. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, man. It's the worst. It's just, it really gets the worst. You gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta turn over that soda for like two to five dollars more an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I I know I feel you. It's a I can I can only imagine the struggle with that being in that position. But following along, so yeah, so you find your way and you decide that you want to you leave your regular nine to five and you pursue this career of being a poet. You know, your poetry and your writing is rooted in a position that is decidedly um, decidedly exuberates a strong sense of Chicano identity. And at what particular point in your life do you decide that you want to create art? with a powerful message of celebrating Chicano empowerment because I feel like that's a um, in a certain way that's a very conscious decision I don't think there's a lot of artists that there are artists that do that but they're they're far few between though right 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 so the first like I'd say the first four or five years was there was tinges of that you know um, but it was more like this kind of proletarian kind of like global proletarian citizen of the world type thing it wasn't really until like the rise of Donald Trump and my disillusion it was so many of these organizations that I was a part of, these very like you know, working class, you know, just broad general, you know, the, the workers, right? The, the workers shall rise kind of thing. And so I think the solution of a lot of them because they refused to like really acknowledge how, how racist this whole thing was. And my work had always had like a, a lack of compromise with racists. I mean, that was always part of what I was doing. It was always against, it was always anti racist. I mean, it was never not anti racist. Um, but if you just look at like, you know, percentage wise, I would be like, I probably have more poetry about just generally, you know, oh, these rich people are gonna kill us all and, you know, you know, oh my god, you know, we need to come together and fight. So I probably had the, the majority of what I was doing was that was probably like eighty you percent know, of what I did, twenty percent of it was like, well, I'm Mexican, how dare you all punch you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And then so with the rise of Trump and how specifically anti Mexican it was, and not just that, not just like the groups I was seeing with people saying like, Well, we still got to think about our way brothers not just that but also just how everyone refused to contextualize when Donald Trump would speak about Mexicans in Chicano history in Mexican history they would seek to like look at it through the lens of like Ellis Island they would seek to look at it through the lens of even the Black Belt South 
they refused to look at the lens through the Mexican border, right? And because they did that, it just made me just double down and double down. And the more they, the more they resisted, the more I did it. And so, like, you know, that's probably my autobiography. The more they resisted, the more I did it. You know, more like, you know, they just trying to stop me at the door. I'm following, you know, but it was really, the more they, they, they tried to stop, you know, this idea of, the more they tried to stop this analysis, the more that this analysis, the more it made me want to do it, the more it made me see the, the point of doing it, the more it made me see the, the necessity of it. And it was always a part of the work, but it became like those just numbers flipped, you know, from, from 2080 to 8020, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like that's like a lot of people, like um, the rise of Trump and contemporary white nationalist, white supremacist movement galvanized a lot of people to kind of recenter that importance which kind of leads me to my next question. You know, why do you believe it's important for the Chicano, Chicana community to know about their roots, heritage, and contributions, not just in this country, but all across the American diaspora of North and South America? Well, I think it's important for people to understand there's, there's a couple of answers. So there's one answer of like, in a period of crisis, why it's important, right? So, so this is kind of a period of crisis, and it's been a period of crisis for a long time. But if you look at our numbers, you look at the... Um, just how underrepresented we are in like media, how underrepresented we are in film, how uh, underrepresented on television, etc. Um, there's this whole thing about underrepresentation that, that, that we are subject to worse than anybody. I mean, we are the most like a race group of people in terms of like how a nation would, how a country, a nation state would explain itself to itself, right? So that's one thing. If you look at the numbers on economics, so we have we are the lowest paid workers, um, along with other you know groups that have some more, you know, along with other like you know. You know Latino, along with other groups like kind of lumped together, we are the lowest paid workers in the country, uh, the most exploited labor. And everyone knows that. I mean, it's not a mystery. Everybody knows that. It's kind of just general knowledge, but which pretending doesn't matter. Pretending it's not political. If you look at the numbers of incarceration, we're highly over incarcerated. Look at the number of police killings, we're over, you know, we're over police. All, all, all these things cross the very bad time. And yet, in our public education, and yet in most of our even in our like radical spaces, we don't have the tools to understand where does this oppression come from. We're simply oppressed because we are oppressed. End of story. Right? We don't actually get the historical timelines to to put that in context to understand it better. Because once you can understand, it, then you then you know it has to do with you. And you know it's not because you're deficient or because everyone around you is deficient. It's actually it actually stems from uh, historical causes. Um, so that's why that's important. Um, in in, in, that, in that sense, you know. Um, in terms of like, you know, I give you a different answer, which would be like, you know, the more, you know, the answer people oftentimes are often looking for, which is like, you know, the Whitney Houston answer, which is like, you know, you know, teach the children well, you know, like give them a sense of pride. I believe the children of the future. You know, and it's really important for people to see something in the past and to, and to, to connect to it, to feel like, you know, like that, that there's uh, some people who are like them who have done amazing things, right? So. You know, that's why if you look at the poetry, there's a lot of references to murals and there's references to, like, you know, pyramids and there's references to all these, you know, all this greatness uh, from, from, from another time. And, you know, and, and trying to contextualize it with also the greatness right here now. Um, and, you know, that's kind of like the, what I try to do in a lot of the pieces. And I think the reason to do that is because people need pride in order to fight. It's a fight that conditions that they face themselves in. They find themselves in. It's not enough just to say, hey, we're getting messed up and here's the problem, here's what's going on, and here's why it's bad, you know. Um, that alone will make you feel powerless, you know. But when you when you combine that with the pride and the fact that this should not be this way, you know, we need, we need to do something about this, you know. Um, that actually helps, you know, 
really motivate that, that fighting spirit. And that's really what I'm trying to do. I mean, I think that in many ways you say that it's, it's a rare thing. I think uh, in some ways in the world of poetry, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm virtually standing alone sometimes uh, in that I am promoting a fighting spirit. You know, um, most people are not. Most people are promoting healing and, um, you know, trauma, you know, and, and oh, it's so hard. And that's, I do that a little bit. That's like 5% of what I do. Like 95% of what I do is like, we're going to fight them. We're going to fight them. We're going to take the hills. We're going to take the streets. We're going to, you know, that, 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 that's... <laughs> That's the majority of what I do. And I think that other people are kind of the other way around. Those people have that flip. Most people. I shouldn't say everybody, but most people have flip. So it's 95% about, like, you know, oh, wonderful and, you know, like, we just need to, like, you know, scars and this and that. And, and that's cool and all, but I, I really think that, you know, that's not me. So, yeah. so that's, that's just funny. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you, you kind of bring up, you know, like, from – the pyramids to murals to um, art and just like this emphasis on like cultural capital of people, you know, being able to take pride in like not just like themselves, but like our culture as a whole. Um, it's it, it's very important, and I, I, I like how you emphasize that. And you follow in a long line of celebrated Chicano Mexican American artists. But you spent, like you, as you said, though, a lot of times it feels like it's a very lonely spot to occupy too, because there's not a lot of people that you know come from a position that you do, especially in poetry. How do you see your work fitting into this larger history of uh, Chicano Latino art and contemporary art slash political movements? Um, you know, I mean, like uh, try to get in market, you know. So I, I just, you know. It's really kind of more up to other people to decide, you know, where, where, where I stand with those things. I'm like, I say what my goals are. Um, my goal, my goal is to, to, to be amongst the very top, to be, to be, you know, to be celebrated as, you know, one of the best, if need not the best, um, ever. At, 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 you know, when it comes to poetry, you know, at the, you know, challenge poetry, whatever, political, whatever. That's that's my that's my goal. I mean, that's 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 what I'm shooting for. If uh, if I fail. People can laugh at this uh, podcast up here. You know, you're telling the line. They could be like, "Oh, you're right." You know, you know we'll, we'll see either way. I mean, it's just, it's fine, but you know, but you know, I uh, roll the dice and see where, 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 where they where they lay. You know, so it's, it's just a really kind of, um, you know, I mean, shoot for stars, right? So, but you know, I, I'm really honored. Oftentimes, people like you know write about me and make uh, make these comparisons um, to some of the, the greats of, of the past. And um, I hope I can live up to it. I hope I can continue to produce work that uh, people feel lives up to it. I do feel that more music grass is, is, you know, as good as anything. Um, and, and I'm going to try and produce more. Absolutely. And now that and that takes me to my next question, actually. Um, you released your book, uh, Mowing Leaves of Grass, in 2019. You know, uh, tell us a little bit, tell our audience a little bit about the, your book. Um, tell us about its content and how the idea came about for you to produce this whole body of work included in it. Uh, well, Morning's Grass is it, it really kind of like, uh, you know, it's a culmination of probably, you know, six years, six, seven years of writing poetry. And, and it's actually split into, there's another book uh, uh, called, uh, it's going to come out soon, called City on the Second Floor, which is a different set of poems. But, it was, I kind of wanted to split them into two, two pods, you know, and so, so Morning's of Grass is much more the ethnic studies, Chicano studies, that one, and City on the Second Floor is much more the, uh, 
Marxist geography type book. I think that's really kind of about like you know how cities are laid out and um, how space is contained and policed and you know and how money is made and like that spot. See that spot over there. That spot over there is going to be somebody thirty thousand dollars. You know, <laughs> just weird way that capital actually works. You know, actually really taking figures into it and figuring out because you know capital doesn't just exist in time and space floating and whatever. No, it exists on that spot of land right there. That is where you know, like, uh, where this person's labor is going to be exploited, where that commodity is going to, where that object is going to become a commodity, all that kind of stuff, right? That kind of, uh, that kind of, just kind of really digging into that. So that's what that book's about. And Morning's Grass was much more about, you know, not just my ideas about the ethnic studies struggle, but an actual attempt to engage in it to actually be a part of the ethnic studies struggle. It's like my contribution to that whole thing, you know. And, uh, and I know a lot of people who are, who are really big in the ethnic studies struggle, so um, they're very good friends of mine. And um, and I wanted to like write something that to to, to, to be a part of it, you know, to, to be a part of not just something that uh, was about it, but actually a part of it, you know. And so that's that's why I wrote Williams Grass, um, and that's why I, I, I picked the poems I did to, to, to go into that book and wrote some new ones, uh, just to really kind of cope, you know, to really kind of um, make the idea coherent. And so. Uh, yeah, it's a long as I'll grasp about it. I got a lot, I got a lot of blowback from the title, but from different circles. I'm not from. What kind of blowback did you receive? And what was the yeah, basis of this? Because you know, you know, it's called Mowing Leaves of Grass, right? So people are like, you know, like really, you know, big fans of Whitman. So, like, you know, it's the idea that I should be, like, you know, mowing over leaves of grass. You know, my lawnmower is, uh, was not, was not <laughs> received well um, by, you know, uh, Whitman, uh, you know, Whitman fans. So, yeah, the, 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 the blowback was that, uh, you know, Owen was a big guy, he was this, he was that, he was, you know, he, he, he opened up so many doors poetically, uh, it was, uh, you know, he had a lot of um, the homoerotic kind of, kind, of, kind of the underlying, which was, you know, groundbreaking for the time, um, and, you know, he was, you know, he's considered, you know, it's, it's always considered some American part, but for me, Whitman was a guy who, who was uh, also a journalist who was wrote in favor of the Mexican-American War. And even in his poetry, he's got a poem about California. And he says, California, I will teach this robust American love. And he says, I'm going to teach this robust American love. And he's saying this in the 1800s. He's saying this in the 1850s. Right? So what does it mean for someone to say, I'm going to teach you, I'm in California, I will teach this robust American love at a period of time when Mexicans are being lynched, when the gold rush is going down, when all these laws are coming in, it's time to police are at. This is a time where it's just mad, it's just murder and mayhem for our people, for, for other uh, you know, indigenous peoples uh, of California. So this is a horrible, horrible time. This guy's talking about teaching to bust America. No, what does that mean? Right? What mm-hmm. does that mean? And so, like, you know, so that's why, you know, um, that's why it's more on these grass. And it's also, that's why he becomes a central figure. But it's also kind of a general statement about, you know, we don't need these Whitmans. We don't need Whitmans. We don't need, um, Various other, you know, like in the, in the poem, with uh, one of these grass talks about Whitman, talks about uh, Malcolm Lowry, talks about uh, Jack Kerouac, a few other people. Now they're all in there for a reason. I mean, Malcolm Lowry writes this book where he's getting all drunk and he's going to Mexico to die, right? Because that's a good place to die, you know, because they're such a, you know, a, you know, an interesting kooky people. I'm gonna go here to die. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Kerouac writes about. Uh, um, some migrant farm workers and you know they tell him manana he says I think manana must be heaven right so this weird kind of like relationship with them um, and so all these kind of weird things where Mexicans kind of appear in the background of, uh, of, of, of you know the western canon that's that's why uh, I pick those things and I'm saying we don't need these people we don't need to look up to Jack Kerouac we don't need to look up to people like Jack Kerouac or Malcolm Lowry or Roll Women for that matter 
we don't need to look like people do it that we do not need to make them our standard or barometer of genius uh, we have our own and so it was really this thing about like knocking over the western canon which is a lot about what the ethnic study struggle is about and so that was kind of why why it's called mowing Lisa Grass what's more if anything it appears all the time it's Trump throughout the book but you know I was reading these articles talking about how Whitman was the you know the answer to Trump was Whitman's America and I was like I don't see the difference you know I don't see the difference between what Whitman and Donald Trump you know when it comes to stuff so you know here it is and so that was kind of um, why I did that absolutely man from beginning to end how long did it take you to work on this book well, I mean, I shook hands with Edward that we were going to do it. My publisher, Edward, I, we shook hands on it. And, uh, and then I was basically, I just had to, like, compile them. And because, you know, I've been writing, for, I've been writing, these are, these are the, the two books are the poetry of the best over the last 10 years. So I wrote I, I compiled them, I split them up. And then I realized, okay, well, I want to do each book has 30 poems. So I had to, like, write, like, maybe, like, five poems altogether for this book, just new ones. That would kind of really shore up what the, what the whole thing's about, and those were pretty easy to write because they didn't have to be these long, rambling, epic ones. They just had to be kind of like you know on topic. And so I wrote those out. It was good, and then I had to replace one poem because of all kinds of there was a, there was just drama. So I had to replace one poem, and that was a new one I wrote. Was once upon a go back, once upon and go back to Mexico, and I had to write that one, which actually became really pretty good. And that one took me about took about two weeks to write that. So I would say all together. Compiling uh, probably about two and a half months, but again, it took like five years just to write this stuff. I'm trying to like um, after Second Secretary comes out, I want to have a new book that's kind of like more like Morning Grass because I really don't want to hang out with a bunch of Marshall Strouders, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, this is how I felt. This was whatever, and it's interesting to me. But I know what that field attracts. It's going to attract a lot of people where you need a lot of the same problems that made me go super Chicago in the first place, right? So I want to, like, <laughs> so I want to, like, you know, it's not that I don't believe it. It's not that it's not interesting to me. It's just more like it, I know who's going to be there. It's going to be like, oh, God. And I can't imagine devoting myself, like, another year of my life to pursuing those connections and trying to get that book. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my due diligence. I'm going to start the work. I'm going to get out there and do it. But I also want to have another so now I'm working on this new book, which is going to be kind of like Mowing These Grass Part Two, and uh, you know, working title right now is Mexican Style, right? Which which is taken from uh, from the idea of Mexican Style Boxing, right? Which is like this idea for like unskilled, you know, unskilled boxing, which is meant for unskilled labor, which is meant for how they see us, right? Mm-hmm. And then flipping that whole idea around, and so like that that one, it's got like 30 poems I already have figured out, laid out, and I haven't even seen one of them. So, um, but I know exactly what has to happen to one. So. Um, so for those who can't see this, and it's just uh, audio, that's like I got like thirty post notes on a piece of uh, on, a, on a piece of corkboard, and I just like I write different, you know, okay, this has to happen here, 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 and here, because that way I can visualize it, and when I can visualize it, I can start moving things around. I would really encourage people to do that, like use like sticky notes, use like corkboard, use. Whatever, because what you're really doing when you're doing that is you're actually creating a tool that's smarter than you. Now, how can an inanimate object be smarter than you? Well, it's smarter than you because you can hold more information at once in your mind can. Your mind can't hold that much information. That, that, that's why you get like all in mind. You know, your eye starts twitching because you can't figure out what, what you're doing. You're like losing track of things. So we have to do one thing at a time. But if you have something on a board, you can look at many things at a time. Look at the big picture. And when you can look at the big picture, you can start moving things around. So yeah, try to create tools that are smarter than yourself. You know, and, and be humble about it. You know, that, that's that's what I would say. Absolutely. Work smarter, not harder. Smarter, yeah. yeah, you know, I put almost everything I do 
on the writing on physical paper to keep track of where I'm at. Well, actually, you know, this actually leads me into my next question perfectly. You know, like you just showed us right now. I know this is audio, but like you have this mosaic of um, of sticky notes behind you. You know, keeping track of everything. And this goes into my my next question. You know, as a writer, a poet, you know, how do you go about zeroing in on specific topics and subjects during a time when there's so much going on at any given time between the vision and social upheaval that our society has always experienced, but I think has become particularly potent in the past five years or so. You even split these two books up also to kind of keep them within like their respective, not genres, but you know, to keep them within similar poems, you know? So how do you go about zeroing in on these specific topics that you talk about? You know, is there like a process? Is there a method to the madness or is it kind of whatever speaks to you at the moment? I kind of like when I, when I, so yeah, what I want to write, and after that, I put this whole process, it's like a three-act poem process, in which I have like uh, on one side of the on one side of the, the module, I have uh, topic, details, point. On the other object, I have on the other side, I have uh, act one, act two, act three. Now, the reason I do this is because it's very important to me that I maintain a high level of style, even as I'm doing this work that's very substantive, right? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to like having a lot of substance, that's kind of what I'm known for. I'm known to like be writing about things that are really really important right and then people do this weird thing because it's done in, like a sort of work kind of slam style where they pretend like there's not a lot of like style there's not a lot of actual like uh, skill there's not a lot of whatever and possibly because I'm Mexican as well going back to our earlier point um, they're gonna like do this thing where it's like oh well no no but I'm, I'm just as highly focused on the style I'm just as highly focused on the delivery method of it I'm just as highly focused on that and, and it's very important for people to understand because people do this, do this thing with it and just make excuses with themselves and they say all style, no substance or all this and all that. But you should talk about things that are very important and affect a lot of people. You shouldn't be talking about yourself all the time. You should be talking about things that affect other people. That, okay, but yes. But the more effectively you communicate, the more people are going to get that message. So you owe it to the message that you're sending to speak in a way that's going to reach the most amount of people. Right, so you mm-hmm. just take yourself out of the equation. So it's not making sense. Anyways, so 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 getting back to what I was saying. Um, so it's Act One, Act Two, Act Three. So again, it's come to the topic. I figure out okay, where's my topic? Where, where are my details? Where are the bricks I'm gonna build my house with? And I start thinking about all the things I want to say about this topic. Then I'm like, no, where's my point? What am I trying to say about this topic? What am I trying to use these details? What kind of message am I trying to convey? So I figure that out. Once I have that all down, I figure out how do I best organize my details into a series of acts to best make my point. And so then I started like, thinking about, okay, in the beginning I'm going to do this, in the middle I'm going to do this, and then this. So for instance, I have a poem called The Rich. So, the, so Act 1 of The Rich, it's misdirect. The Act 1 is to tell you, like, it's glorious to be rich. It's a lot of fun to be rich. You know, like, you know, silver, you know, silver platters and million-dollar mansions and, you know, like, million-dollar companies for life like Apple. Ensured by suicide nets, lifestyles, and criminal negligence, and driven mid. So you launch a car in space for no reason. And that's what I call freedom, you know, the rich. Oh, this is like I was talking about this misdirect about like how like Robin Leach style thing. In the middle is going to actually tell you how capital works. You know, the rich will, you know, like you know, here's how it is. You know, dollars and cents, trademark and rent. And at the end, it's like the rich are actually uh, sociopaths. They're going to leave us here on a dying planet, you know, uh, while they go off into space. You mm-hmm. know? And so that's how it ends. So that by the end, it's like, you know, like, you know, like, uh, you've got pots and pans, we've got deals and blends chopping down the rainforest, colonizing the moon, we're the rich. Who are you? You know, like, and so it's like, so, and it 
goes into, into that. So I know ahead of time that these are the three sections I'm going to need. So I do all this research. I watch all these things. I watch like I watch hours of Jeff Bezos. I watch hours of this. I watch hours of Elon Musk talking. I read some articles. Um, I did all this kind of like research to get like these little details. Like only going to add up to like one line. So you know, I put probably about six seven hours of research into this poem of just like to, just to write like a you know four hundred word poem. And I, but I know where each, you know, each nugget is going to go into this section, this section, this section, this section. Here's why I need to show it's glorious and rich. Here's why I'm going to show how capital actually works. Here's why I'm going to show that they're actually, um, I'm so sick guys are going to leave us to die on a planet like a, like a, like the Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. right? So that, that's kind of like how the rich was composed. And similarly, La Reina was like, okay, here's the pride of the community. Okay, what am I going to use? I'm going to have the Don Santos. I'm going to have Dodger Stadium. I'm going to have uh, the Fight for 15. I'm going to have Abuelas Raising the Grandkids in Spanglish. I'm going to have that. Okay, that's going to happen here. Here's the middle. Okay, the Latino lowest paid work in America. Okay, here's like the history of LA. Here's like some references to some books. Okay, that's going to be there. Okay, and then down here, I'm going to have some references to. Um, you know the Simon's Brick Factory. I'm gonna have reference to this. I'm gonna reference to founding the city, and then I'm gonna have reference to like the, the fight against gentrification and against police brutality. Awesome. That. Okay. Here's what I'm gonna do here. Okay. Knowing that ahead of time, so like, I know I bring this here, 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 and there. Then I also know like okay, in order to make this dynamic, what I need to do is I need to do certain things. The people have kind of come to expect me, which is like I'm gonna introduce a concept. I'm gonna take the concept to a journey, right? So in the poem, Lorena says like you know. At 54 cents a dollar, most Americans will explore your worker, and here is home of La Reina. You know, and so then at the end, it's like, oh, hey, La Reina, the once a future queen. So then the, the, the term is introduced in a kind of vulnerable way, and it returns with power. Same thing happens in Pilgrim, same thing happens in several of my poems. So it's like kind of like ideas re- return and reemerge, um, but, but having gone through a journey and, uh, and, and attained a new meaning. So that's how I write. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of whatever. Now I'm telling people this, you know, you know, and I encourage them to try and write similarly, you know, because it's it's it's, it's effective. Um, but you know, it, it's not an accident. You know, it's a lot of hard work. Whatever it is, it is, and that's part of the focus discipline. Absolutely, the discipline definitely shows through in your work as well, man. You know, thank you for sharing your process with us because it's it very you very eloquently broke down. You know how much research and study really goes into these into these poems are not something that's that are just written on a whim well see it's different because a journalist has to make sense I don't have to make sense I, don't, I really don't I just have to make I, just, I have to make sure something right mm-hmm. so I can grab a hold of these little things that like you know if I were actually trying to use like a journalist like you know like you know like <laughs> file like a police report <laughs> like what I don't understand what you're talking about like, well, it doesn't make any sense so, and obviously it's not, it's not an expose like, it's not like, you know, here are the details, here are the facts, and making sure you're following along, I don't want you to get lost. No, for me, I do want you to get lost at times. I want you to get lost, and then also you found again. I want you to have the experience of being lost and found. I want you to experience, like, what's going on here? Oh, I get it. Oh, now I'm sad. Oh, now that's funny. Now, you know, I want you to have these, like, multiple experiences where journalists is really locked towards, like, I want you to understand. No, I can't, I can't, I don't want you confused at any kind of point, you know. So it's a, it's a different, it's a totally different, uh, it's a different craft. Um, but I do as much research um, as you know. Either you know, I don't know about journalists, but journalists actually go out there in the streets and find things out. So I might do it too sometimes, but for the most part, I, I, I do as much research as let's just say an opinion columnist might. For things that are much shorter, um, and for things that you know, you know, you, you wouldn't think you'd have to, but. But again, that's why you know I'm alone in the game, man. That's why, like, you know, that's why Greg Powell calls me the best political in America. No one else is doing it. Like, like I don't know. 
maybe there's somebody I don't know but uh, and when I, when I when I find them I will you know Highlander <laughs> there can only be one <laughs> <laughs> no 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 I, I totally I'd be, I'd be so happy if it was I mean that'd be great yeah absolutely man um you know so with that being said you know whether it's through your work or through your activism you are very much invested in making a change um in the community and the and our society as a whole in a broader context what role do you believe that artists have in our society particularly in an era where political discourse is the most partisan divided it's been in recent memory and you know, do you do you believe that artists have a real opportunity to speak truth to power? I do, but I also feel that artists are like plumbers. Artists are like uh, teachers. Artists are like a lot of people, right? So you have you have good and bad. You have you, have, you know that are good, bad, and totally worthless. You know? <laughs> yeah. Between, uh, we, have, we have all kinds of people writing all kinds of stuff, and I think if you are politically minded, you know, if you're a revolutionary type person, you should use art. You should use art as part of your game. I mean, whether it's a small part or a big part, you know. It's part of my game, but like really, I'm, I'm artist, but you know, I'm, I'm a revolutionary man. I'm a, I'm a genre revolutionary. I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a global proletariat revolutionary. I'm a, you know, I'm a, all those things. I, you know, I believe in that we need to make change. We need to, we need to fundamentally change the way the world is structured um, at, the, at the very top. You know, like from, from the top down. And I don't, from the bottom up to the top down. You know, however you want to put it. Uh, I believe that, and um, and it's my belief in that. Uh, that makes me do multiple things. I mean, I also write articles. I also um, am part of, of the group of Telaguar, right? But the, the biggest thing I do is do my poetry, and that's the biggest thing, I, my biggest public face. And, you know, it's primarily because I'm good at it, but it's really because I'm revolutionary. So this, this advice is less to artists and more revolutionaries, that you should step up your artistic game. You should you should make that a part of what you do. Um, even if it's not a big part, even like, again, it's all about percentages, even if it's only 5% of what you do. Adding that to your general repertoire, you can never um, to those who are revolutionary artists, you know, I would encourage you to work harder because most of you don't. You know, most of you really don't. You just you think that it's, it's good enough to come in just to be like, you know, you know, come and say like, you know, in 1956 this happened, and, da, 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 and oh, this is my ode to this person who was fallen. You know, and you need to work harder. You need to get better. You need to get better because it's not it's not moving the crowd. Because I'll tell you what, like you, you're not as an artist, you're not like you're competing for attention with other people. You're not winning that way you know you're competing with attention of people who aren't writing about revolutionary stuff they're writing about failed relationships and they're writing about whatever you need to, you need to get as good about writing about revolution as those people are about writing about Bochata. that's what you need to do and that's what I do you know and that's what you need to yourself to that kind of standard where you are as good at this as they are at that you know you, you, I'm not I'm not dissing people who write about just just whatever um, you know a lot of them are friends and stuff but uh, but you have to hold yourself to the same artistic standards if you want to be an artist as they do. I mean, if this is what you're going to primarily do. If it's something you should do secondarily, then you don't, don't know what I'm saying. But you should do something like that. Uh, but if you are really like, you know, I'm going to be the revolutionary poet, blah, 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 then, uh, then, then you, need to, you need to work harder because yeah, yeah, it's smarter, but you need to work harder. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I see a lot of workshops, and people are always going for workshops. are always like, you're enough, you're enough already. Don't worry about editing. You know, like, this is my, now it's my advice to artists and writers. Don't listen to those people. Because those people have MFAs. And they're telling you not to, and they're telling you that, like, you know, they have, the whole world's already open us. Like, the, all, the, all the people that, like, won the journals have MFAs too. So, like, they all, they all know each other, and they're doing that. And you go to the workshop, they tell you that you're enough, and you're this, and you're that. 
you're no, you're gonna need to work harder and you're gonna need to outsmart things. You need to outsmart a system that's got you completely locked out. I mean, it's a small system, but it's a microcosm for the world system. Uh, the, the, the world of poetry is going to lock you out unless you are part of little networks. So, in order to like get past those networks, you have to outsmart those networks. You have to think outside the box. You have to create connections that don't exist um, through that world, unless you go through the world, unless unless you pass through it and, and do the thing that they do, and then, then you're fine. But if you're just out there trying to like make a name for yourself just by like, hey, I'm pretty good, that's not what brought people into these papers and these these reviews and these. These things. That's not what got them there. What got them there was the network they're part of. Um, the world, of, the world is nothing but a series of networks and guilds and blah blah blah. So, figure out how to connect to different things um, is what you're gonna have to do. So, I know I'm going all over the place right now, but like, uh, this is just my advice. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's it's solid advice, you know, because like it's a networking is often key. In a, in a lot of fields. Yeah, but you know, so the workshops I run, I always tell people, like, you know, like, this idea that you need to hold it, you're enough, you're this, don't listen to all that, you know, you, 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 know, you need to work hard. <laughs> <laughs> you need to work hard, you need to be disciplined, you need to be, you need to, but that's like, I feel like I'm like a golf football coach or something, you know, like, uh, like Cobra Kai, like, strike hard, strike hard. <laughs> like, yeah, but, but it's true, it's true, it's true, you know, you, you need to be more disciplined, you need to, to really, to really just, you know, sink down and, and make your make improve and get it better. And if you're ready for yourself to feel better and to, to get it off your chest, then that's that's beautiful to do that. But if you really want an audience and you wanna you know, like, you know, you, you want something like that, then you do need to work on it. You know, so you know, for the audience you right? If you're gonna tell look, here's the difference. If you go here and you, you get on stage you tell me like about like the your heartache, which is keep it there. You tell about your heartache and you just like, start just drowning with details of your life that's like, throwing all kind of meandering directions, I'm gonna think, Oh, that poor guy. What a poor guy, right? But instead, if you come up here and you like edit it well, and you start telling me like, you know, I was 15 when I first met uh, Jennifer. She was 14, and blah blah blah. And then we met again when we were both in our 20s. And this is now I'm starting to like listen to your story, right? You're delaying the part where you're hurt, and I'm like, oh, well. and midway somewhere through, if you write this really well, I'm gonna stop thinking about you, and I'm gonna start thinking about myself and my own experiences, which are similar to things you're saying, right? And then I'm gonna get emotional. And then you're going to tell me when it ends. And then when it ends, I'm not going to see it. Then it's about to end. I'm not going to want it to end. I'm not going to want it, your heart to get broken. Because your heart breaks, my heart breaks. And then I'm going to be like so moved by this whole thing. But then you're going to tell me you're going to move on. And when you tell me you're going to move on, I know I'm going to move on. I know I'm going to be good. I know that like I will survive. This is you I survive. <laughs> because you wrote it well. Because you wrote it well, right? If you write it poorly, I'm not going to have those experiences. I'm just going to be like, oh, poor guy. And that's going to be the end of it. Right, so that's the di- that's the difference. That's the difference. Um, and so, uh, and when it comes to politics, then you know, if you come up here and start ranting, maybe I'm like, I'm like, I agree with that person, but I'm not going to feel motivated. Like, let's go out and do it. That's going to happen if you write well. Absolutely. Um, as someone whose work is decidedly, you know, political, do you believe that art and expression is? one of at least several components to making lasting systemic change within our society, especially given the current social climate within the country today? Yeah, absolutely do. Absolutely do. And I think that art is just part of it. But I think, it, but again, it's part of it, right? So yeah. I want to kind of be mystified this concept of the artist, right? Because what ends up happening is we end up paying a lot of lip service to how great art is and how important artists are. And then actually, when it comes time to event, the first thing to get canceled is the art. Right, so it's time of that, like, you know, someone's up there speaking too long about something, you know, they agree to, 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 to say the political points in 10 minutes. They're like, no, what I'm talking about is just too important. 
I need 15 minutes, right? And they just keep going, right? But the first thing is cut is the arts. So it, it is a part of it, and I'm not saying it's the most important part of it or the least important part of it, this part, but it's a key component to it. So it needs to be respected as such. Because when it's happening, someone says the artists are the most important, and then they act as though, you know, they're, 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 they're the most quickly expendable. Most like, well, we didn't have time for the art. You know? You know, you have to understand this person had to speak for like 15 minutes and, you know, spend seven of them talking about themselves and eight only, and, and, and only three on the topic at hand, and five, you know, talking crap about other people who had spoke earlier. Like, that was, that was really important. That's what we needed to have to happen. And that's why we didn't have the, the singer come on. That's why we didn't have the poet come on. That's why we didn't have, you know, the dance, you know, the dance had to be tighter. Whatever the art might be. Um, that has to stop. That has to stop. So, I mean, I'm saying a lot of practical things, so like, just many questions, but, but that's the reality. This is a real practical question. You know, the organizers are a must. The speakers or the topic at hand are a must. Art is a must. All these things are a must. And they must be treated as such. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. That's a good way to put it. Like it's like you said, it's not the most or the least important, but it is definitely a component and it needs to be treated as such. And a lot of times it's not. You know, it's, no. the, it's the first thing to go uh, more often than not, actually. By the same people who are saying that it's the most important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, say one thing, but do completely the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to our next uh, question, what are your thoughts on the current social climate in Latino and immigrant communities in this country uh, as they threat as they face the threat not only by police violence but like of immigration and also increasingly regular attacks from racist and emboldened white supremacists that have been emboldened over the past several years of the Trump administration? I know that you often talk about this on social media, which sometimes, especially on Facebook, sometimes. Facebook uh, likes to take down your comments, I, I've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, what do I think? I mean, I think it's horrible. I mean, it's terrible. But I think, you know, there's also like, the fact that there was a little fact that, you know, Pete Wilson had done this, you know, had done this here in California years ago, the fact that Arizona um, very much created a template for, for what, what Trump said was a national, whatever. So to put it all on Trump would be wrong. But to say that Trump actually, uh, when I say wrong, not like morally wrong, but like incorrect. Um, but uh, what Trump did do was he popularized a lot of these the politics of a place like Arizona or certain counties within California or parts of Texas, New Mexico. And he, he made them national, right? So you got people in Philadelphia talking about this. You got people in this place where they really didn't think they'd think talk like that. Um, and so that's what he did, you know. Um, but as far as the, the act, that, 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 that's the culture, that's the, the vigilantes, that's, the, that's the, um, the kind of thing that individuals do. Um, and that's extremely important. But when we talk about state, the state and whatever, we're looking at an unbroken line. We're looking at an unbroken line of sort of oppression and repression um, that's been going back for a long time. And so that, uh, that I think, is, 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 is a way of understanding it. So that, that's kind of how I understand it. I understand the story is being you know, relatively static and the culture is going up and down like this. Um, whereas the, this question of people coming from, from you know, south of the border, you know, from, from the, the, this continent, um, the original peoples of this continent, moving up and down, uh, is, uh, is sometimes the topic of, uh, a discussion in this country, like the, the central topic of discussion, and sometimes not. It is, it, it goes back and forth, it comes back and forth, it and flows. But I think that this, this, this question about demographic shift and what do these numbers mean, and they mean this, they mean that, they mean this, or they don't mean that, they don't mean what you think they mean, they really mean this. Um, or it really means this or it means that 
Uh, I think that that those questions are here to stay, and they're going to become the foundational questions because those numbers are going anywhere. The fact of the matter is that these numbers are shifting and changing. Seventy-five percent of uh, of LAUSD students are Rasa. So I mean, like that's just one indicator of what is to come, and not just in those areas, but around the country. Like look, the populations are growing in New York. Look, the populations are growing in Kansas City. The populations are growing in, in, in Detroit. I mean, all these areas where you don't even think of that, like Mexicanos, it's growing. So. It's going to reshape this country in the next like 20, 30 years, and, and how people feel about that is going to become kind of foundational to American politics. So this is why I think that the study about the Mexican border and seeing the depression that's been going on there um, since there was a Mexican border at the Rio Grande is important not just for Chicanos and Mexicano people, but for everybody to really understand, for everyone, because then they can understand where the fascists actually come from. Because there is only one president in the United States, so if they're going to use anti-Mexicano um, sentiment to push across all kinds of things, with polluting everybody's water. And you should know where it comes from. You should know where these things come from. And stop talking about Ellis Island. Stop talking about things that are not the thing. And stop talking about that. And we're not saying, and I'm back on that, but I'm saying, like, that's not what's going on here. Because every time this happens, every time someone gets up and says, oh, I'm actually going to respect that, some guy will come on and be like, well, you know, my great grandfather came from Port County, Ireland in 1884, and he was a, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, like, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm about that, right? You know, like, hey, hey, hey. So, like, but, the, but, but this insistence on not talking about it um, is really huge in this country. This insistence on, on making it about something else uh, is really huge. In fact, I would even call them the immigrants, right? And people say the immigrants, immigrant, immigration, the immigrants, the immigrants. But they never tell you where people are immigrating from, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, unless, they, unless, you know and, unless they do tell you, because they, they want you to be sure, like, oh, I'm not talking about Mexicans or, or Central Americans, but I'm talking about Haitian immigrants. I'm talking about Cambodian immigrants. That's when they'll specify immigrants. But they don't specify immigrants. Who comes to mind, right? So, like, that's why they they, they really have to nationalize it, racialize it, d d d d d, just redact it, right? And so that's kind of um, uh, how I feel. How the, the discussion, discourse needs to really change, and we really need to, to focus on, on the centrality of these questions um, in order to fight back. Because if we don't have if we don't have an initial understanding of what's actually happening, we're going to just absolutely you are currently the literary director of the da center for the arts in pomona california tell us a little bit about that position the responsibilities as literary director and how you ultimately came to hold that position well you know i put on my writing programs so that sometimes i use writing programs about two years now. I mean, nothing slowed down in COVID, but you know, I, you know, we come back with some pretty cool stuff. Um, but you know, I put out a lot of the, like, you know, the words, <laughs> the words that go on there. Uh, and so I, I, I put together a, a Chicago timeline a few years ago. That was that was really really exciting. Got to interview um, uh, Lupe Carrasco Corona. I got to interview Gabe Gutierrez, uh, Zisan. Got to interview uh, Mark Torres, uh, Travel Tips Barcelona. Uh, Rosemary Soto uh, Rodriguez, the uh, the director of Teatro Urbano, um, and so that was that was you know that was you know phenomenal, and I got to put together these timelines like that. Um, again, Lupe from Fumare, um, so it was it was really 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 exciting, um, really really exciting to do that project. Um, we're gonna do some we're gonna do something soon with uh, Jose Prado, where we're gonna put together a whole timeline of, of uh, incidents that happened to to make out after the Mexican War, then into the 1900s somewhere, and then we're gonna actually you know, try and figure out like how do you talk about this through like a historical materials lens. Like, you know, pop, 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 this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. All right, now how do we understand this, you know? 
and then like okay this happened this happened this happened and so we're looking at it in like historic time so these are some of the things I do with the DAO um, as well as like provide like a faceless kind of projects uh, which is like poetry written response to the paintings uh, either through myself or I find someone else to do it um, you know create that uh, so that, yeah, that's what I do with the DAO. Um, it's been a pretty, it's been a cool thing. I was I was invited in residence. I was uh, um, recommended by a guy named John Brannigan, who was the writing department, or he did at the time. I'm not sure he does now. Mount Sac, but he's over at Mount Sac in the writing department. And, uh, he was the uh, previous writer in residence, and they brought me in, and I started doing all those things. And then we created as well um, uh, for the literary director because I was doing much more than a writer in residence because you know I saw so much opportunity there. And uh, I've been working with Margaret, and that's that's how uh, Margaret Chiel and is the executive director, and um, that's kind of uh, we found a good partnership, and uh, it's been great. Earlier in the interview, you talked about your upcoming book, City on the Second Floor. Um, you know, tell us what you can about any other upcoming projects or endeavors you have lined up for the future in 2021 and beyond. You know, what does the immediate future hold for you, man? The publication of that book, I also wrote a novel, so that's going to come out. Uh, and, and so we're going to have a number of things going on. We're going to start working with Ethic and Kisa more, um, delivering some some interviews. Uh, Della Agor is me, uh, Karina Akri Pais, uh, as well as Ernesto Ayala. Um, and the three of us, we're going to write up some interviews uh, with, with, with you know, some pretty pretty important people um, you know, who, who've made huge contributions. Um, so we're really excited about that. Excited about the partnership with Kista. Hopefully, we're going to put out some more projects. We got, you know, we were, we're starting to sell T-shirts and stuff like this. We got some sales out here. Oh, that's it. Uh, so that's what we're So we're making the T-shirts out of the memes we make and the infographs. Um, so you know, we got a clear line coming out basically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are ways and just means it's collective. So I mean, that's that's part of a, a general effort that we're putting together. Uh, as far as me, I got I got those two books coming out. Um, so we're working on another one. Um, I'm working on this big epic poem, and by epic, I don't just, I'm not just giving myself a compliment. It's an actual one poem, long story kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's called Elon Musk Must Be Stopped, and it's a, it's a, it's going to be this kind of like 500 years of colonialism, ending with Elon Musk trying to colonize uh, Mars, and so that's kind of like you know what we, uh, what I'm working on right now. Um, with a, 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 the uh, Alliance for California Traditional Arts. I'm going to be working in the prisons. Oh, okay. Um, and so, like, uh, it's kind of like uh, Luis Rodriguez stepping down from uh, from his from his role there. And so, I'm, I'm stepping in for Luis. Dope, man. So it sounds it sounds like you have a lot lined up for 2021, and then going into 2022 as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, 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 never reason to be bored. <laughs> I'm excited to see when it when it all comes out, man. Um, so with that said, you know, where can people find you and follow you online to see your work and give the latest updates on future shows, performances, and projects, man? Well, in the past, I've been the most active on Facebook, but I don't know much longer that's going to last. I keep getting banned. I keep getting banned for... I get, I'm getting banned for quoting people. That, that's the wildest part. You know, like I got banned um, for, for, for quoting uh, Joe Biden, and I got banned for quoting... Um, an enemy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but, but I was just showing what somebody had said. They said this, and it's like, oh, that's hate speech. I'm like, I know it's hate speech. That's why I was like saying something. That's why I got bad. I didn't wear any quotes, you know? So, you know, and so I was kind of a, but hey, you know, that's what happened. Okay. So Facebook may. Uh... So, so Facebook, yeah. But Instagram, so I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm barely on Twitter. I, should, I, need, I need to do more on Twitter because I know it improves your SEO. 
spell um, you can go to my website maxiguilla.com you can do what you want to um, especially if you're booking for shows that's, that's, that's my I didn't get into that that's my main source of income which is from the remaining universities so if you can like you know if you want to book me in your university you want me to talk to some workshops performances um, you know go to maxiguilla.com they contact and then it'll go it'll come so Absolutely, man. Well, with that said, man, you got any closing comments or anything else you'd like to let our readers know about yourself, your work, or just leave some words of wisdom? Uh, you know, I would, I would say this, right? So, like, we talked a lot about the industry stuff. Um, just to people that in general, I think, I think we better fill that, but just people in general, right? If you want to be a writer, you want to take it seriously. That's what you really, really want to do. Here's what I would, I would, I would encourage, especially if you want to be a creative writer. Um, you, need to, you need to hone in on what it is you do well. You need to move the production of your genius from your subconscious mind to your conscious mind. You need to become a student of your own mind. You need to develop a style. Turn that style into discipline. And turn that discipline into a standard of excellence that you look yourself to every time. And in that way, once you become the world's leading expert as to why you're excellent, no one, no one can discredit you. And you will not seek for validation. Why you are great can be a mystery to the audience, but it should never be a mystery to you wise words to leave off on man brother thank you again so much for coming on the show we appreciate you blessing us with your presence and dropping all this knowledge on us internet matt Cedillo, his book mowing leaves of grass is out now and his book city on the second floor will be dropping soon 2022 matt thank you again for coming on the show man we appreciate it thank you so much <laughs> and with that said we out This episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego, and our music was done by DJ Root. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.